Hello, welcome to Crystal Meth Podcast. Hi. Hi, I'm very chirpy because we're talking about unsolved murders. It's kind of hard to be cheery about people who've been brutally murdered and some of the victims that I've read about, they don't even know who they are, which is even worse. And their children. Is, uh, like, oh, I like what you're saying, I'm usually chirpy. Like, I do, I really like Unsolved Murders, but you're right, it's weird. I know we are morbid and we do a podcast yeah. on weird stuff, but I, that is weird. That, like, I feel bad for the people because they've been murdered, but I still really enjoy the story. You committed all the murders, Mark, let's face it. I did. <laughs> the one that I've looked at uh, takes place in 1931, but I did commit that murder. <laughs> yeah, you went back in time. Any, you're Jack the Ripper as well. I am. That's Jack true. Stripper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Different kind of serial I would, killer. Travel back in time to be a Gabriel Lesk act by day and a murderer by night. Dirty Mac Brigade when you're like, <laughs> you're like to prostitutes here. Look at this. Then open up your trench coat and then stab them. <laughs> you got my voice down exactly there. <laughs> <laughs> in the film of my life. That's, your, that's your Victorian voice, not, not your modern day voice. <laughs> well, I mean, we, we covered this topic quite a while back in the early days of the podcast, and it was quite a popular one. Surprisingly, people just love murders. We're all morbid cunts. We are. Yeah. I mean, I do watch a lot of crime not live. <laughs> there's, a, there's a live crime channel as it happens. Out of your deck eating your popcorn. Streaming crime. Yeah, <laughs> yeah sitting eating popcorn going over. I was imagining you in the street, like you go down the centre on a Saturday night at like half past three in the morning and just pull your deck chain out, sit at the bus station. And <laughs> not even half past three. You can go during the day and see plenty of crime happening. Lovely. <laughs> mutants down there. Sorry, I'm used to country life now. We don't really have crime. Yeah, yeah I think. Well, you Except for all crime. the really, really rich adult no. men forcing small it, children to punt drugs for them. But if you put that to one side. Story crime, crime. So they're tax avoiding bastards who will steal the milk out of your tea if they could. That is also <laughs> a form of crime, to be fair. Although, again, the like city lighting stuff's probably worse, I would say. I was um, sitting imagining um, a scenario where, I don't know why I do this, it's crazy the things that go through my mind sometimes. I was thinking about a time when I was on the bus on the way to the Battlelands. For those who don't know, the Battlelands is a famous former ballroom dancing place in Glasgow, which ties into our last podcast. Yeah, did you not do podcast. the Battlelands yeah. yeah, there was a serial killer who attended the Battlelands ballroom called Bible John. We don't know if that's his actual name. It's just that he was partly called John and he liked to quote from the Bible and nobody knows who, who the fuck he was. He, he murdered quite a lot of women who he danced with. And they were all in a period for some reason. It was as if he was enraged. That he I couldn't... forgot about that bit. Yes. Because um, they found sanitary, like, or I don't know if they had tampons back then, but they found, like, maybe they did, but he found, they found their, their women's things. <laughs> Why are you a 70 year old man? I'm I'm stuck in the undergarments. (laughs) (laughs) Delicate. Yeah, so I was I was hanging out at the time when I was going to the Battlelands to see the band Disturbed with my pal Debbie at the time. And I was wearing my new rock boots, which are heavy boots with like steel heels. Uh, and this neddy woman started going 
Here they if they got a steel toe caps and she was just pissing me off so I just went I went to her oh fuck's sake or something I, I don't know I said something like you daft Ned and she went <laughs> she she heard me but she didn't do anything but then I was imagining in my head what if she actually you know pulled out a knife and slashed me or something and then I started imagining the whole thing playing out and going I could have been scarred for life. <laughs> I should have just shot my face. In my head, you've just like drifted out, and then Debbie touches your shoulder and is like, "Are you all right?" And you just start screaming, driving ah! <laughs> around on the bus floor, like, which okay. is a guaranteed way to get Ned to leave you alone. So, is it? Have you tried that method? Does it work? Nah. Your brother is a Ned, is he not? Yes. He well, he yeah. was. He's oh, still sort of us. Once a Ned, always a Ned. Always a Ned. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And I'm definitely if I arrived on a bus floor and screamed, he'd walk away from me. <laughs> yeah. He's walked away from me for less. <laughs> yeah, so we were talking about Bible John. Was that you I was with in school where uh, eh? I decided to wind Paul up and we pretended to be pterodactyls? No. I feel like that was a very you and me thing to do. I can't remember that. I don't must really... be me and Yaz then. Nobody it else to pretend to be a pterodactyl now. with me in school. <laughs> Like, it was a very how, short list of people who would have joined in with that. How can you pretend to be a pterodactyl? What the fuck? Were you just slapping you just your, your arms? Arm next to him and went, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and he took the fuck off and stormed away. I feel like John would enjoy that as well. Yeah, if you pretend to be a pterodactyl next to John, he would he wouldn't join in, but he would he would like it. But I just mean he would be entertained at you pretending to be a pterodactyl to wind up Paul. Oh yeah, he'd love that. <laughs> <laughs> oh the things we used to do man jeez kids kids don't know what they're missing with pterodactyl antics and the Dalton Ned cutting about with their fucking Facebook and not pretending to be pterodactyls Absolutely. they all look the same I've, do you know see when I see someone like because I'm not hanging around schools like staring at like kids and watching what they're wearing That's I, good. Do, I do you know I do happen to do pass a school like a high school when I'm on my way to work and what I've noticed is that most of the lassies that go there all wear the same fit now I know it's not like it's called a school uniform but it, it's not really because they're wearing skirts that look like fucking belts you can practically see their like their ass cheeks and fuck like any and a slight I mean if you I don't know what it's like in your school but I'm just like how the fuck are they getting away with that that is just like horrible and then when I see well, we have an actual uniform policy but to be fair like a lot of the kids complain about it all the time and are like do you not think it's unfair and then I'll name other schools and be like I mean their uniform policy is not so tight but yeah then it's exactly what you're saying where I'm like yeah but they dress it's basically inappropriately for going yeah. not even to school just like outside <laughs> yeah I mean I'm not talking about like 17 18 year olds that are in sixth year I'm talking about actual first second years wearing what looks like this makes me sound like an old fucker but it, it, what looks like a strip of lycra across their pubic bone <laughs> like, <laughs> what is this I mean they wear tights underneath it some of them don't and I'm like, what are they, are they, is this just like the fashion or are they genuinely trying to attract little horny boys or girls? I don't know. 
oh, imagine girls would be attracted to that. What is I mean, that all about? Like, they're really sexualizing themselves at a really young age, and I just think it's fucked up. Like, and then I was going to let your child go to school dressed like that. Like, imagine no, having a I suspect that they don't, but when they leave the house, they'll hitch their skirt. Fair right point. Up. Yeah, but they're still. And really I suppose if it's a school again, that doesn't really have a proper uniform policy. They're not then going to phone your parent yeah. and be like, "Why is your child not wearing clothes today?" But I mean, some parents probably don't care. No. But what I was going to say is, when I see an individual like girl who has her own sense of style, I'm like, oh hallelujah, they're still some unique people that aren't like clones that, that I hope they don't get bullied you know what I mean <laughs> gives me a sense of hope that there's some but then I suppose when we were at school like everybody was like a 1990s early 2000s Stepford wife like people didn't really again yeah. there wasn't a lot of people at our school that actually dressed in an individualistic or interesting way, like everybody just wore kind of carbon copies of each other, like those um, like little fitted jumpers with no sleeves that were like sort of caramel coloured. I think like all of the quote unquote popular girls in our year all wore them to school pretty much for the whole of fifth and sixth year. Yeah, I think they did. I remember. I, I get they weren't dressed as sex workers, but they were still all dressed the same. Yeah, they did. They were like, I don't know. I remember I drew in my notebook uh, a lineup of the popular girls, and then I was walking down the corridor, and I swear to fucking God, they were walking in the exact formation that I'd imagined them to be in. <laughs> I was like, this is nuts. <laughs> oh, anyway, Unsolved Murders, Mark. Who done did it? We don't know. Do I know anyone who's been murdered? No. <laughs> I would have taken things to another level. Like that's something on my bucket list that I just have to (laughs) take off. Like I'm on my deathbed. My one regret is I didn't know anyone who was actually murdered. (laughs) Now, if I get murdered, you can be like, sadly, the podcast is over because Mark's been murdered. But on the upside, Mark's been murdered. (laughs) (laughs) And I can do a podcast about it. (laughs) Well, like let's kick off then. What is say you're on are you going to start with an unsolved unsolved an unsolved murder um i just kind of want to generally talk about psychic detectives because let's get weird with it this is crystal myth but we can we can segue into that later if you want if you want to get into the the meat and potatoes or the meat should we say yeah sadly there's no psychic detectives involved in this case but maybe Uh, there should have been maybe that would have i just has there ever been a psychic detective who has actually solved an unsolved murder? Because I, I highly doubt it. Wasn't there like a few that were trying to get involved with the Madeleine McCann thing? Because if I they were genuinely psychic detectives that claim to have solved murders, but I think it's a bit like what Captain Hindsight kind of thing. Like there's a kid in one of my classes, and I can slag him off because he won't listen to this, and also I'm not going to say his name. Although I do always tell him he's my favourite for the same reason. And the reason I tell him he's my favourite is because I'll go like, and the person that this came from was, and then like another kid will go, Abraham. And I'll go, that's right. And he'll go, Abraham. And I'll be like, "Uh uh-huh. And he'll be like, do you get like uh, any points or anything if you get it first? And I'm like, you didn't get it first. (laughs) You just said, like, you know what you said after they said it? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm slightly confused. 
And I feel like that's what psychic detectives are like, because it's always like they they try to give the police advice. And then the police are like, it was Jim Magoo that committed the murder. And they're like, and I told them, Jim Magoo. No one would listen. (laughs) Yes. Or not so much that it was Jim Magoo, but they implied it was. Like they had came up with some clues that pointed to Jim Magoo, but they didn't quite have the name. Oh, I think there was something recently. Remember that, that you know, that poor woman that drowned in the river? Like she went missing. People assumed it was a murder or they, they called her an alcoholic. Yes. Yeah. Right. And there was this there was this woman that came out and she was on Instagram or something or TikTok. Fuck, it was probably TikTok because that place is toxic. And she started saying that she has she has psychic abilities and that she's a psychic detective and that she knows for sure that um it was like her husband or something that murdered her, or it was definitely a murder. Um and she started coming up with all these different theories and it, obviously it was complete bullshit. <laughs> Strangely, and I don't have TikTok, but I'm assuming it's the same with you that like TikToks just pop up on other random things to try to. I never. Yeah, I only see yeah. it on like reactions. One sites. popped up the other day, which I opened, but then didn't join TikTok, and it was mm. strangely from uh, one of you know the psychics, the like psychic couple that are sometimes on this morning. Oh, they're really weird. They are really weird. It was a video with like her talking about how her cat had got into the fish pond and had attacked a fish. But it just starts off with that. And I was watching it, but I was just watching it because I was like, I recognise this voice. And she was like, oh, and there's like a bit missing from it. But we got this stuff from the pet shop. And like, this is like three days later. And I'm just giving you a wee update. And actually the scales have started to heal back. And this is a really good product if your fish is injured. And again, I'm just like watching it really focused. Like, I recognise that voice. And then her husband filmed her like putting the fish back in the pond. And I was like... That's those sucky people up this morning. Why are they doing technical videos about fish care? That Your sounds like Alpenco. Definitely was them. Checked afterwards. 100% the psychics from this morning. Doing fish care videos on TikTok. Oh my God. Maybe it's because they don't get invited on this morning anymore. Why didn't they predict that Philip Schofield was a big nonce? Or Maybe they knew one? and that was part of the cover up. Maybe when people are like, well, he looks a bit like high profile people knew and it was covered up. Maybe that's the high profile <laughs> people they mean. Yeah, I mean, for people who have no fucking clue what we're talking about, um, this morning is like a, I don't know, what would you call it? Like, um, what do they call it in other countries? Like a a, to- a topical, topical, a daily topical, topical show. Yeah, during the yeah. day. I don't know what the equivalent would be in America, but they have different um states and different channels or even if it's I don't not really like because I mean they have like daytime talk shows but it's not really that is it it's not it's oh there's a word for it and I'm just so old I can't remember yeah I can't think what of it as either uh, it's, it's like on for like what two hours every day and it's just they like cover like four or five big news items from the day they have people on talking about it they show you how to cook stuff they do cooking they do fashion segments um yeah, that's about Sometimes it, really. that know things about fish come on and tell a wee story. Yeah, they look really weird. And Guy sometimes people in their 60s who work on the set groom teenagers. Who and you get hire them the as set. a runner on the show and then yeah. feed them booze. Yeah. Hey, who? Moving on. <laughs> Unsold murders, Mark. We still haven't hey. got around to it. We're rambling today. So... Who is it that you said you'd done a deep dive into a particular unsolved murder and it's not one I've I've heard of because you know most people would be talking about 
I guess the most popular ones would be like the Black Dahlia. Nobody knows who killed her to this day. Um, that's probably one of the more famous ones. Well, the one I've looked at, and I will tell you in part of the story why it, it's not well known, but why it's like sort of famous a little tiny bit. Um, so that was where I started, and then yeah, I went back and was like, "Who is this? What happened?" And this is the 1930s as well. That's before the Black Dahlia, you said. And then, as I said, it's like Twin Peaksy. I feel Ooh, so. Then, okay. Yeah. So yeah. it's the murder of a lady called Julia Wallace, which took place in 1931. And so Julia, sorry, you go. What country? Uh, here they lived in Liverpool. Ooh, cool. Okay. Uh, so Julia and her husband William lived in Liverpool uh, together. They didn't have any kids, so it was just the two of them in their house. Mm-hmm. Much loveliness. Um, not much loveliness. I have a child. It's quite nice, but I'm sure well, they were. I'm, I'm in a childless relationship, and I'm happy with that. And I feel like you would like Julia. I liked her when I was reading about her. I'm sad oh, she's no. dead. I mean, I know she would be dead by now because it was 1931. She was murdered just now. <laughs> like she was lovely. So in January 1931, Julia was 69 and William was 52 because Julia... Okay, she'd definitely be dead. Sugar. She would yeah. definitely be dead. But also, 52-year-old husband, she's the Joan Crawford of her day. Joan Collins of her day. Joan, Joan Collins. Well, Joan Collins was about in the 30s. Who am I thinking of? No, Joan not Joan Collins. Collins. Joan Crawford would have been, sorry, I take that, what, that back. Yeah, I meant she's the Joan Collins of her day because she's like... Oh, yeah, Joan Collins does have a really young man. Yeah. Yeah. Although, to be fair, she's not. She's not gregarious and stuff. She's like a... Oh. Well, I'll tell you about her. So she was a retired governess slash teacher, but she specifically only worked with, like, really small groups of children, which is why her job was listed as a governess. Right. When she was working. Obviously, she wasn't working by this point in time. And William, her husband, was an insurance salesman who, obviously, at 52, was, like, approaching retirement. Um, That's a red flag. Insurance salesman, younger man. I'm thinking life insurance scam. Don't you sort on William? We like him too. <laughs> so Sorry. from like looking into their lives, they were both likely not in my opinion, in medical opinion, I like that. I'm like I decided this. They were both likely autistic or had like some sort of general anxiety disorder or social anxiety disorder yeah. or some sort of neurodivergency. Although there wasn't anything diagnosed because obviously people didn't diagnose those things at that point in time um they just thought they were ignorant ignorant (laughs) people either thought you were rude weird or put you in an asylum and luckily neither of them been put in an asylum so they were still cutting about living their lives Uh, they all so their neighbors considered them to be a nervous and unusual quite a lot of people described them as unusual because people are rude but friendly, like people thought they were actually very, very nice. And if you stopped and got chatting to them, they were lovely. It's just that they weren't really the kind of people that would stop and chat. Um, well, I, never, I never go out and socialise or anything like that. So I'm not. I... Does everyone just like go around each other's houses for tea and cakes all the time? Was that the normal thing? I don't know like Mother Brown, I believe. That's, that's how yeah. things worked in the 1930s. <laughs> In all fairness, they did like they did have friends that would come around their house, so they often hosted mm. dinner parties, but only for their close friends, which again is part of why people. So maybe yeah, an answer to your question, because part of the reason that people describe them as unusual is because when they had parties, they only ever invited their close friends. They wouldn't tend to invite neighbours or go invite new neighbours around. But I'm like, well, cool. That's, that's normal to me. Perfectly, yeah. Like, why would you invite random strangers into your house? Well, 
they both also had like identified health issues. So Julia had a fairly severe respiratory issue, which she'd had her whole life, but it got worse in her old age. And William had been waiting. He was on the waiting list for an operation for kidney issues that he was having. And it was likely that he was going to take early retirement because of them. But he was happy to do this because then him and Julia could spend more time together. And apparently they were like super loved yeah. up. Nice. And this is pre-NHS as well. So they would have had to really save up and pay for yeah. operations. Mm-hmm. They were also both skilled musicians. And well, again, they didn't really like spending time with strangers. So they didn't want to like perform publicly. They did like to host parties, so when their friends were around, they'd normally like have a little sort of shindig and play songs. Knees up Mother Brown. So, yeah, they would have their wee shindigs, they would play Knees Up Mother Brown, all their friends would have a lovely time. Uh, Obviously, after Julia's death, the police spoke to like all of their close friends and stuff, and their friends that regularly attended their parties and spent a lot of time with them said that Julia was like a lovely quirky fun woman um she was a lot quieter than william uh, he tended to be the more sort of like bullshy person at parties but not like in a negative way um mm. just like he was sort of the life of the party but again only if he knew you if he was in company of people he didn't know he tended to be quite reserved as well and uh, they were both like a really happy couple they were both a really loving couple and they were great to spend time with so basically nice reports all around they sound like some like people I would like to be friends with. I feel like they sound have- a lot like me and my partner. Like you know, well, I'm actually. I think I, I'll talk to anyone, but if I don't feel like if I, I don't know everyone in the room, then I'm not going to be the first to instigate conversations. But if I need to find someone that I will click with before I can relax. I think like she sounds like she was the same though, because it's very much like as we go on in the story, like she would she'd stop and chat to people in the street and stuff it's just i feel like people's issue with her is again if they were like oh can we come round like can i invite myself around to your house for a hotanana she'd be like no i just met you three seconds ago you seem like a mutant fuck off yeah i feel like they're the weirdos i feel like they're the normal people yes i think their weirdos are the weirdos again i'm like julia and william top humans most other people in this story dickheads Especially whoever murders Julia, because again, I like her a lot, and we do. Was it the entire street? (laughs) I mean, maybe. Could be. So, jump forward a little bit to January 19th. So, January 19th, William receives a note after a phone call came through to his work. The note asks that he attend. uh, So, this is where I feel it gets starts to get a bit twin peaksy. So, this note says, uh, "Could you please pass on a message to Mr. William Wallace?" Also, just noticed that his name is William Wallace. Don't know why I didn't pick up on that one. Yeah, that just threw me a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's because in all my notes, I've either written William or Mr. Wallace, and I'm like, William, Mr. Wallace, that's William Wallace. (laughs) William Wallace of Braveheart fame gets uh, this note, and the note said, could you please speak to Mr. Wallace on my behalf? Uh, I would like to ask that he attend a follow-up meeting with me to finalise the details that we discussed of my new insurance policy. Let him know that this note is from R.M. Qualtrot. And I wish him to meet me at my home tomorrow, January the 20th, at 7.30pm. I live in a street name, which, to be fair, I could have found if I'd researched harder, but it's not in the original (laughs) notes or anything from the police, because obviously they, like, redacted it. So street name, 
whatever, like 22 Shoe Avenue. Mm. In the main love area, which sounds like an area I would enjoy hanging out in. <laughs> of main Liverpool. love area. <laughs> okay, there's a lot of fun going on there. So William receives this note and he says to the guy that like basically takes the calls that come into his work, like, I'm really confused. I don't have a client called RM Qualtrot. Qualtrot, Qualtrot. I've never even heard of the name Qualtrot. Uh, and I'm not waiting to finalise any insurance deals with anyone. Like, hmm. basically any of my clients that have got our ongoing clients. So he doesn't really know what to do. He goes for lunch with his, like, two mates that he works with. And he's speaking to them about it. And he decides that he's going to go to the meeting because he's like, well, part of my job is that, like, I do go to people's homes and take insurance payments anyway. Normally it's locally, but, like, he's used to going out to people's houses and doing that. Um, And he thinks as well that with, as you said, like, the medical bills for Julia's um, condition and the fact that they're trying to put money away for his operation coming up, that, and especially if they're wanting to retire early, he's like, well, having an extra client, that's not necessarily going to be a bad thing. So, and it's not yeah. like he says to his friends, oh, maybe I forgot about it. Yeah, it's very clear that he's like, I've never spoken to this man. I do not have an appointment with him. I don't know who he is. Yeah, I would but just put that in the bin. No reason why it would be anything untoward, so I'll go meet with him. Oh, okay, fair enough. Which makes sense, again, like, they're both, like, quite quiet, reserved people, so why, like, it's not like it's a spy thriller, like, why would somebody be trying to lure him off to Mm. the middle of nowhere to, like, bring harm to him, because nobody wants to bring harm to him, he's a perfectly nice guy. Right. So, his friends are like, I, one of them says that they wouldn't go, the other one says they would go, but they both agree that it doesn't actually really, it's not, like, it doesn't matter if he does go, nothing negative I think he should, have took, it's a bit odd. he should have took a colleague with him he should have but again but in hindsight again, and you obviously know that his wife's <laughs> about to get murdered it would have made sense for him to bring a colleague with him but yeah <laughs> we know this if i was a psychic detective that's what i would have suggested well sadly he didn't speak to a psychic detective he just spoke to his two pals which was oh. foolish so during the day on January the 20th, William spends his day doing what he normally does, going around collecting insurance payments from local clients. While he's doing this, his sister is round at his house with Julia. Him and, uh, she and Julia have lunch together and are just kind of hanging out and having general chit-chat and a laugh. Uh, again, his sister says that her and Julia always got along really well, like she really liked Julia. She's generally a sort of fun, good energy kind of person. Yeah. William heads home slightly earlier than he normally would because he's not going back to the office because obviously he's going to be working slightly later going out to this meeting in the office know that he's going out there so he heads home and he stores the money that he's collected for the day which is the equivalent of about 200 pounds in today's money well that's a lot and it is i mean well not really 200 quid no that's what i thought i'm like someone back then i don't know well no it's the like again it's it's the equivalent of 200 pounds mm. so it's like you wouldn't normally have 200 quid lying about the house but it's also not an insane amount of money to have lying no. about the house like um i think it was four pounds 50 that he had on him at like four pounds 50 in actuality but it would buy you the equivalent of about 200 pounds worth of stuff right. today uh-huh. uh, and he puts it in a jar because sometimes when he's not going back to the office he does this 
uh, his sister said that this is a thing that like regularly happened that he'd like put it in this specific jar and then put it in like this glass cabinet in their house not like to hide it or anything that was just where he kept it until he went into the office the next day yeah for safekeeping so he comes back home he has dinner with julia his sister leaves before they have dinner uh, him and julia sit and have dinner together and then at 6 30 William uh, leaves the house and we know for a fact that he left the house at 6 30 because his next door neighbor to the left there is a reason why I'm telling you to the left his next door neighbor to the left to the left to the left <laughs> I just want to sing that song now said <laughs> that they saw him leaving the house by the front door and locking it at 6 30 and that uh-huh. they he stopped and chatted to them and they said that he seemed in a and I will quote this an extremely jolly mood. Jolly good fun. Yeah, it seemed like he was having a jolly old day. Uh, and then they saw him walk down the street in the direction of the tram station. See, That's... usually this is at the point in a TV show where, or a soap, where if someone's extraordinarily happy, you know that they're going to die later. Well, again, though, you do have foresight because I've told you it's an unsolved murder case. <laughs> <laughs> so... Off he goes down the road in the direction of the tram station, which makes sense because the only way for him to get to men love is to go on the tram. The only way to get to men love. (laughs) You have to ride the tram to get good men love. At 6.40, the milk boy delivers the milk to... Well, I deliver milk to... At 6.40, he delivers milk to William and Julia's house. Uh, Julia answers the front door to him. He said he had a brief chat with Julia. Um, again, same sort of story as other people that don't know them well. He said that whenever he delivered the milk, she was always very nice to him. She seemed like uh, quite an unusual lady, but she was always very pleasant. So he gave her his milk. I'm imagining, for some reason, unusual when I read that. I was like, I imagine she was wearing like a natty hat or something. <laughs> but anyway. She comes to the door. He knows it's 6.40. Doesn't explain why he knows it's 6.40, but he's very sure that it is definitely 6.40 that he delivered the milk at. At 6.45, William boards the first of three trams to get to the main love area so that he can go to whatever the address was I made up earlier, to Shubley Boo Gardens. Shubley Gardens, yeah. Yep. We know for a fact that he gets the 6.45 tram based on areas that people see him later like so the, there's no way he could be where he is later in this story had he not got on the 645 tram right right so we've got 630 William is, leaves front door locks front door talks to neighbour on the left hand side goes down towards the tram 640 milk boy comes to the door 10 minutes after he's milk left boy. <laughs> milk boy speaks to Julia <laughs> It's strange that his name is Milk Boy and that that was his job. <laughs> Speaks to Julia. Bye, Julia. Carries on in his way to the next house to deliver the milk. And 6.45, William gets on board a tram. Mm-hmm. So when he... Don't know what I've written here. What? When he's, oh, when he's waiting to get off the third tram, so as he knows it's approaching the station, he asks the passenger sitting across from him if they know of number two, Shubley Boo Gardens. Mm-hmm. And the guy that he speaks to says that he doesn't. 
this man later gives a statement to police because when this all came out, he recognised William's face straight away and was like, oh, that was that guy on the tram that said to me, do you know this weird address? And it stuck out in his memory because he was like, oh, recognise the guy, recognise the weird address. Uh, But he says, no, I don't. I've never heard of that. And um, Because that's weird. William says to him, oh, do you live locally? And the guy's like, oh, I do, but sorry, like, mate, don't know it. So he and this man both then disembark the tram. Hmm. Don't know why I said disembark, but they do. Well, that's the correct word. That's the correct word, but it just seems weird. Disembark before. (laughs) It's like I'm now, I'm giving an official police statement. So they get off the tram. This guy sees William go into the tram station. He goes away. William asks several people outside the tram station if they have heard of this address and they say they don't. Again, we know that this is the case because two of these people came forward and gave a statement to the police saying that this man stopped us outside of this station at this time, asked us if we knew this address that we'd never heard of before. He asked several other people as well. So eventually William goes back into the station and asks if they have a city directory, which the person behind the counter does. Again, again, again. They remember having this conversation with William and also contact the police. It's a very detailed timeline for the 1930s, but yeah. It is. There's no CCTV or anything, so it's all from people's memories of what happened. So I don't know if that's reliable enough, but maybe people had better memories back then because they weren't so, like, attention, like they had more of an attention span than they were on Twitter. Because there's so many people that individually went to the police that don't actually have any connection to each other or to William. Even like the boy that was delivering the milk, like he doesn't actually really know them. There's no reason why he would go to the police and be like, oh, I was actually at their door at exactly this time. Yeah, that's strange. The neighbour makes sense and they could have been wrong about the time, but everything else, I'm like, well, there's no reason why. Yeah, but a milk boy probably is on a tight schedule, so it's Yeah, so you'll know exactly when. Yeah. And, like, the neighbour will know when they get home. And, again, these people are, like, they'll know, well, they definitely know when the tram gets into the station because the trams are fairly regular in their timing. But, no, it's not like they're, like, every two minutes or anything. So, (laughs) So anyway, he goes in, he asks for a city directory. Again, the person remembers this because they were, like, well, he looked slightly unusual in comparison to other people that I deal with every day and also he came up to the counter and said do you have a city directory so I can check an address and that's an unusual request so they give him the city directory he looks up the street there's no such street and not even the men love area there's no such street in the whole of Liverpool so he thinks that's weird so then he decides to look in the bit of the city directory also old timey things didn't know this existed where you look up the name of an individual or family so he looks to see what individuals or families there are that are Qualtrots so that he can work out if there's any Qualtrots in the men love area and basically just go knock on their door and be like, hello, did you phone me? But there are no, not only are there no Qualtrots in the men love area, there's no Qualtrots families who live in Liverpool. That is a strange name. It sounds Because Qualtrots not a name. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, is it the address? Is the address just made up? Like he's he's going awfully out of his way to meet some random phone call guy. Like if it was oh shit, if it was me, I wouldn't. I would just be like, this is a waste of my time. I've got other clients, more important clients to deal with. If he really wants to have an appointment, he can fucking come in the office. 
like every other person. Agreed. Mm. But that's not how William went. So at this point, William basically is like, this is weird. Clearly, this is fake. Why somebody made a fake appointment with me? Yeah. I imagine if they had mobile phones, then he would have called his pal that he went for lunch with that was like, don't go, that's weird. And being like, do you know what? You were right. This is fucking weird. But there are no mobile phones. So instead, he waits in the tram station to get on the tram, basically to get on the tram that's going to take him back home. Back home, Which leaves the station 45 minutes after the tram that he got off of. So obviously by the time he's been like messing about here, he's probably spent about 20 minutes messing about. So he's got another 25 minutes before he can possibly get the tram home. Um, And there's no other real way for him to get home at any pace. So he's like, fine. So he sits in the tram station, waits for the tram to come, gets on the tram. Uh, Again, takes three trams. It's the same trams that he has to get back. So he gets the same three trams back. Which means that he arrives back at the station nearest to his home at 8.45pm. Again, we know for a fact this is true because his neighbours from further up the street see him getting off that tram. And he says hello to them and then walks back up towards the house. And also just time wise, it's the only like that. Basically, the earliest he could have got back to the station would have been 8.45. Okay. Like there's no way. I was for him thinking you were going to tell me that between him waiting for the tram and the tram arriving, that's when he disappeared or was taken. But I'm assuming that it was an abduction, but obviously it's not. So <laughs> does he ever make it back to his house? No, but there is a oh. there is a between when he was arrived at the tram station and got back on the tram, something did happen. Oh. Okay. So he gets home and he attempts to open his front door. But the door is dead bolted from inside. Mm. But is that normal? Uh, no, he said in his own statement. But he realizes it is nearly 9 p.m. He'd normally be home way before that. So maybe that's why Julia's dead bolted the door. So he knocks the door, no answer. So he shouts up to the window for Julia to come down, no answer. So he goes around and tries the back door. Right. He, William then claimed was extremely confused because he attempted to open the back door and it wouldn't open. And this doesn't make any sense because he's not got a boltable back door. What? So is there something maybe pushed against the door? Yes, it seems as though there's something blocking the back door from opening. It has to be some weight because the door's not budging at all. And they did have heavy furniture back then. Like I've seen the old antique wardrobes that they have and big proper woods, but it's not MDF shite. So, obviously, at this point, William's like, right, I'm having a really fucking weird day. Mm. An imaginary person has summoned me to an imaginary address, and now my wife is trapped me in the garden. Is that maybe to lure him away so that they can get to his wife? So. (laughs) Am I jumping the gun? He's trying to get in the back door. The back door's not budging. He's putting his full weight on it. The next door neighbours on the right hand side, their garden wall is low and they can see right into the garden and they're out. So they're kind of looking over at William and they're like, are you all right? So William says to them, like, no, <laughs> basically. Uh, <laughs> Just had the day from hell. So he's like, no, not really. He said, I don't really know what's going on. Um, or they said, he said, I don't really know what's going on. I don't understand what's happening here. I'm unable to get into my house. And he shouts up to Julia again and there's no answer. 
So the guy who lives on the right-hand side of him says to William, do you think that everything with Julia is okay? Mr. Johnson, his name is. So Mr. Johnson says, do you think everything with uh, with Julia is okay? And William says, yeah, but I basically yes, but I don't know what's happening. So he walks back around to the front of the house. Mr. and Mrs. Johnson follow him. Mr. Johnson says to me, oh, give me your front door key and I'll try it. Yeah, like he's a big strong man. I'm like, nobody in the statements is calling Mr. Johnson a weirdo. Like, that's weirder than anything William's done so far. Like, okay, yeah. well, an imaginary person. Why is he being like, oh, I'll open your door for you? Because he wants to be so, Billy Big Boss. He gives Mr. Johnson the keys and Mr. Johnson tries to open the front door. And guess what, Leslie? Oh. Unsurprisingly, the front door doesn't move because it's oh, deadlocked. Okay. So, I genuinely thought he got in. <laughs> So then Mrs. Johnson says to Mr. Johnson, why don't we try the back door? Which again Wait, makes sense. Yeah. We just watched William try to push his way through the back door and it wouldn't move. So they go back round with William. Mr. Johnson tries the back. No, I'm lying. They go back round <laughs> with William and William's got the keys in his hand and says to Mr. Johnson, look, fairly, unlocks the back door, pushes on it and the door shoots open. So he's like, wow, that's okay. weird. So they walk in and he shouts on Julia and Julia doesn't answer. So William then goes into the house looking for Julia. The Johnsons say in their statement that he didn't seem worried or anything. He just seemed slightly confused as to what was going on with the door. He keeps calmly calling Julia, obviously clearly wondering like why she's not answering me. Um, in his own statement, he said he didn't know why she wasn't responding. He was wondering if she'd gone out, but he was confused as to why she would be out and also why she would deadlock the front door before she went out. Mm. He goes in and finds Julia was in their parlour room and she's dead. Obviously, I was thinking that's where it was going to go. But in what state is she in? She had been so brutally bludgeoned. Oh, fuck that her blood covers from around her body to seven feet up the walls. What? That's and, fucked up. And this bit's horrifying, especially considering yeah, that we're like Julian is her friend. And her brain <laughs> is out of her head. Uh, so someone literally bashed her brains out? Yes. Uh. Also, which he doesn't notice to be fair at that point in time, but when uh, police come around later to investigate, her dress that she's wearing and her coat are both partially burned. Not enough to have caused any harm to her to her body, but clearly somebody tried to burn her. Although it does say like there's no marks to her body at all, so it's almost as though she put on a burnt and then put out dress and a burnt and then put out coat and then somebody beat her to death. Well, I don't get that. So her dress that she's wearing. Yeah. It's all burned and singed. But there's like nothing on her. Obviously, her body is mutilated, but there's nothing mm-hmm. on to her body at all. There's no scorch marks or anything. Yeah, no like scorch marks, that... no like boil marks or anything from heat. So it's mm. as though she's put partially burned clothing on. But why though? That's I don't understand why she would do that. No, it doesn't make any sense. Again, not to, not to make light of William's day, not make any sense. <laughs> his wife's dead, but I'm like, his day does not make any sense whatsoever. It's just it's all a, very 
Is there any connection then with the Weird Street and his wife? His wife, yeah, Jessie? Yeah, I thought, right. Maybe, maybe. But we don't know because it's unsolved. So he then calls out to the Johnsons and they come in and see Julia in this state. And uh, Mrs. Johnson said at this point, William, now the neighbours on the left we like, the Johnsons we don't like. Okay, Leslie, we don't like them. <laughs> Um, I just don't like the way they talk about William. So Mm -hmm. Mrs. Johnson says that uh, at this point, William unnerved her because he fell to the floor sitting there and began muttering. They finished her. They finished her. Look at her brain. And she found found that an odd thing for him to say, Leslie. What did she want me to do? I don't know. Making a cocktail. Fuck knows. (laughs) She's like, why am I not having a party? Sing some fucking no coward films, uh, no coward songs. She's pulling her recording out and doing a wee dance, and it's like, William's, William's so socially inept. Why you not dancing on his wife's corpse with me? Starts dancing, tap dancing on his wife's corpse. <laughs> so, oh, Mrs. Johnson then drops to the floor and attempts to revive Julia. She informs police, which again confuses me because I'm like. Sorry, you attempt to revive the woman in the burned clothes who's mushed up and whose brain is out outside of her head. Mm. And she thinks that William's a weirdo. Um, so obviously she gets Julia's blood on her because she's down on the floor with Julia on her. She's trying to revive Julia, which she can't do. What she's trying to do is scoop her brains back into her skull. <laughs> no, I think she was trying to perform CPR on her, which again makes no sense because her brain is in a different part of the room from the rest of her body. So while they wait for police, they then go into the kitchen and Mr. Johnson gets William and Mrs. Johnson some water because William's obviously in shock and Mrs. Johnson is now in shock because she's covered in blood. At this point, William notices that his cabinet from earlier in the story, which, by the way, doesn't have any locks or anything on it, has been smashed open, which again is weird because you can just open it. Yeah, but maybe, yeah, okay, maybe he was in such a frenzy that he just smashed it. And the the jar with the insurance money in it is no longer there. Right, okay. So these However, Mm -hmm. Julia did actually have, like, she was the kind of person that kept money randomly about the house rather than keeping it at the bank because she didn't really like going out to the bank. Like my granddad used to be, used to hide money under the carpets. So all the other money that was in the house was still there, including the large amount of money that Julia had sitting out on like a plate basically in the kitchen that she just lifted when she wanted to go out. So <laughs> whoever's done this has taken the smaller amount of money and smashed up a cabinet to take it, but has left like the obvious money that's just sitting out that they could just have picked up and walked away with. Right, that doesn't really make any sense. No. So the police then arrive. They're obviously interviewing everybody in the kitchen. William tells the police when they're asking him, like, where was he at the time of the murder? He tells the police that he was obviously out on business and then explains to them that actually it was strange as well. And says that either a Mr. or a Mrs. Qualtrod had left him this message and it was at his office and so on and so on. So. One of the police leaves to go to his office and trace the call, which confused me because I didn't know they could do that then. Um, but they definitely can because they trace the call, so okay. I didn't think that was a thing in the 1930s. 
I wonder if it's because you know they had like the old operator style phones. So do you think they were just like, this is where this wire connects to? Don't know. (laughs) But anyway, so he leaves to trace the call. The second police officer searches the house and finds that while it looks like the rest of the house has been untouched, actually, which to be fair, the Johnsons and William hadn't been in, they went into um, Julia and William's bedroom and it's been totally ransacked. Everything's been smashed up. All the drawers have been emptied, so it's clear that somebody's been looking for something in the bedroom. Mm. Now, when they later bring William, and he's obviously in a slightly better headspace, not a great headspace because his wife's brain's in his living room, but a slightly better headspace, to have a I'm look at the I'm actually looking at a picture of her right now, lying on the living room with her brains out. Do you know there's an actual picture? Have you seen it? I do, yes. Fucking hell. I was oh. actually quite shocked. <laughs> I was thinking, is that a re- reenaction? Is that a recreation? Or is that a real picture? I think it's a real, and it's in colour. Or someone's colourised it. Some fucking psycho's colourised it. Nah, they could trace phone calls. They were taking colour photos. It was, it was all going on. <laughs> okay. So, mm-hmm. they bring William. He has a look around the bedroom. He can't, obviously, it's state, but he can't identify anything that's missing. He can't think of anything that anyone would know was in their bedroom that anyone would be looking for. There's no real reason why anybody would be in there. Again, Julia keeps her money on a plate in the kitchen, so why are you going to the bedroom looking for things? The third police officer, uh, who is so drunk that they can't stand up properly while trying to interview William and the What? Johnson, the, the cop yep, was drunk? Yep, the cop was absolutely <laughs> levered. Uh, is supposed to be taking a statement of Mr. <laughs> and Mrs. Johnson, but tells them that he needs to take a piss, then stands up from the table, almost falls over, goes out to where the toilet is for a pee. They hear the toilet flush. He comes back and then he tells Mrs. Johnson that uh, the fucking toilet was full of blood almost to the brim. Wait, that's a quote, a direct quote from the pissed police. From the pissed police officer. This is crazy. (laughs) Mrs. Johnson then said, like basically something along the lines of, oh my God, where did the blood come from? And he says, I don't know. I flushed it when I finished pissing. Oh, you fucking idiot. That's flushing evidence. <laughs> and he's pissed in the evidence. And obviously well, the issue is, pissed. again, very Twin Peaks that it's like the toilet is about to overflow with blood and it can't really be Julia's blood because her blood is quite clearly all over the living room. But he's pissed. So it's like, well, was it overflowing with blood or did for some reason the killer wash their hands in the toilet instead of the sink? Was it just yeah. water was slightly stained with blood? Don't know. But according to his... Apparent oh, view of it. The toilet was about to overflow with blood. <laughs> and then he did what anybody does when you find something filled with human blood. Piss on it. Did they find any evidence of sexual activity on the corpse? No. Well, I mean, they might they might not have well, they they probably would have looked back then. I'm just saying, like, I don't know how good forensics were back then, but I was thinking this fight's fucked up, but maybe he fucked the women. And he got blood all over his penis and then he pissed. But then why would it be full to the brim with blood? But then again, water? filled with the brim is better for the surrealist story. But when yeah, that's true. Brim, he's a crazy drunk guy. <laughs> so the first police officer then returns to the house, speaks to the other two, and they put William in handcuffs and take him out to the cop van and take him away mm-hmm. to the station where he is charged with the murder of Julia. What? What indeed? What evidence did he have? A fine question. Let me run you through the the apparent evidence that resulted in him being sentenced to death. 
to death, of course. He had the death penalty back then. Oh. So, Julia's ex-friend was one of the many, many people who have gone through. There was lots mm-hmm. of people that have gone through the contact of the police and gave statements that clearly show that William was... Yeah, hence the detailed timeline that we went over innocent. previously. He had alibis. Possibly. Oh, also, don't know why I just jumped to the evidence before I say the evidence. Other important thing. Now, obviously, it's very difficult to estimate a time of death, and it was even harder at that point in time. However, the time of death that was estimated for Julia, based on what they could roughly estimate, would have placed William at the random station that he was at, that he was stuck at for like 25 minutes. But my theory is... it's Basically, in the window of time that he was there, she was killed. Yeah, because I'm thinking the, the letter or the call that he received with that stupid address was clearly a means to get him out the way so that he could then, or she, I don't know what the fuck they are, could go in and murder Julia while he was out. That is, the, like, clearly, now, again, he gets Then we don't know what the motive sense. is. Very clearly someone was targeting her, but, yeah, what's the motive? There's no reason to kill her. And what were they looking for? Like, they were targeting her. What were they looking for? Why did they smash the cabinet up to take the money instead of just opening it? If they were looking for money, why did they not take the larger sum of money? And also... The burnt clothes thing's obviously weird. And why did they wreck their bedroom? Like, what were they looking for in the bedroom? Yeah, it doesn't look like they wrecked the living room. No, and it clearly, obviously, she is the victim, but it's so yeah. targeted at her. Like, clearly someone was trying to draw him away because they just wanted to be alone with her to get their hands on whatever it was they were wanting to get their hands on. So weird. So, there's all these statements that obviously show that he's innocent. However... The picture of the toilet with the blood, the piss and the blood. Oh, is there a picture of it? Well, I don't know if it's genuine, but it looks like unsolved locked room murder that's puzzled people. Yeah, there's a picture of the toilet. <laughs> it's in black and white, so it could be chocolate for all I know. I'll send it. <laughs> I'm really entertained that there's a picture of the blood piss. The combo. actual piss toilet, yeah. Oh, someone circled the... I don't know what the, the I don't know what that's supposed to be, but oh, right, I'll screenshot that. Right, carry on while I screenshot this and send it to. <laughs> so one of Julia's friends, um, oh sorry, no, that is a lie. Julia's Guys. a woman who describes herself as Julia's ex best friend. Now I think we know everything we need to know about this woman from the fact that in her statement to the police she described herself as somebody's ex best friend, mm, and she's exactly. in her sixties. Yep. Not twelve. Uh, stated that she assumed that William was the killer because they were both bad people and their marriage was both loveless and strange. I think that's the other way around. (laughs) (laughs) And also, it goes against what all of their other friends... Oh, okay, so after he'd flushed it all the way, there's still, like, some spots of blood. Oh, is that... that's weird because there's no spots of blood so obviously there's like blood on the back of the toilet and then splattered where they've got that red circle but there's no other spot of blood anywhere in the bathroom you can see yeah so was... Although again he flushed the evidence away so who can possibly know so right this mental woman gives this statement she's an arsehole but that's used against them <laughs> and yeah. in court it was stated later that the information given was really misleading so the prosecution stated that a friend of Julia had stated that, but didn't bother putting in any of the information about how actually 
all of Julia's friends and said how lovely a guy he was and how nice a relationship and stuff they had. They just focused on this one clearly unhinged woman's statement. The police stated that, this is crazy as well, when we arrived at the home of Mr. and Mrs. Wallace, mm-hmm. William began to feed the cat when we arrived at the house. When we were interviewing him, the cat sat on his knee and he patted it while talking to us. What, like a, a Bond villain? Like a man that has a cat. He thought he was Blofeld with his cat. Because we all know men who pet cats are evil bastards. They're evil well, dictators or something. I did have to look into it further because that's literally the entire bit of evidence. And I'm like, I thought that you were going to say that the cat spoke to the policeman and said that it was him that did <laughs> it's just it makes about psychic. as much sense. Well, yeah, so the psychically said it to prosecution him. said to the jury that that showed that he didn't care about what that his wife was lying dead in the other room because mm, what okay. kind of a person would pay attention to an unimportant creature like a cat when their yeah. wife was dead? I'm sorry, which makes I would sense to, cats are comforting. Maybe the cat wants yeah. to by petting the cat, it calmed them down because that's what they say about pets. That if you pet like, them. I'm pretty sure if someone I loved was dead and the cat climbed on my knee, I would definitely pet the cat because it would make me feel calmer. What did they want him to do? Like pick the cat up and chuck it off a wall? Surely if he did that, that would show he was mental. Yeah. It sounds to me like the police just could not be arsed and just thought, well, it's easy just to blame it on the husbands because it's always the husbands or the So we'll just do that. Know. Even though yeah. it makes no sense for it to be him. I bet Julia's ex-best friend would throw a cat into a wall, though, because she sounds like a prick. Maybe it was her that did it. Maybe. Maybe. Why didn't that? That didn't even occur to me. Fuck's sake, it's pretty obvious. <laughs> oh, my God, it's her. Um, the call to William's office when it was traced, uh, the one that was to organise the appointment with the make-believe person, was huh. placed wrong. Now, again, this is not evidence, Leslie. When they traced it, which is why they immediately came back and arrested them, they found that it was placed on a phone near to where William played chess with his friends some evenings. And by near to, they meant an 18 to 20 minute walk from where William played chess with his friends some evenings. That that could literally be anywhere then within that. Yeah, so it was basically just like it was placed from a phone and William knows how to use phones. Yeah. That's, that's so they were crazy. basically saying that William had gone to this phone, which he knew existed because it was 18 minutes walk from where he played chess, put on a fake voice and phoned his own office to organise a meeting with himself that he didn't go to, even though we know that he went to it. What the fuck? In order to have an alibi for murdering his wife. The police claimed when they went into the witness box of the police spokesperson said that they believed that William could uh, could have killed Julia in this way. However, they accepted that people may have seen him on the tram, but this could be explained away as well, because they believe that he could have killed Julia dead on 640. Mm. So they think that their story is, the boy that delivered the milk came to the house. Julia opened the door, spoke to him, got the milk, uh-huh. closed the door, yeah. walked into the parlour room. At the point where she arrived in the parlour room, he immediately bludgeoned her to death. <laughs> You'd think there would be milk, though. She didn't. Did she put the milk away, I assume? Well, we don't know. That, uh, we? Well, 
that doesn't matter, Leslie, because their, oh. the rest of the plan doesn't make any sense anyway. Okay. He said that he then left the house to get on the 645 tram and uh. that his neighbour must have seen him at must 645 have. and thought that they saw him at 630. Now, the defence said that this obviously didn't make any sense because yeah. you, you can't in a five-minute window murder someone, especially not to that extent, clean yourself up, which we should, you would have to have done because the blood spatters went seven feet up the wall. Yeah, and it would be he would be absolutely covered in it. Exited the house, had a conversation with your neighbour, and then got to the tram station, which was about 10 or so minutes walk away. Like, that defies the laws and of anything. How, and then how would he, how do you explain... How, how do you explain the doors being locked from the inside? Yeah, when he left out the front door and spoke to the neighbour on the way by. Exactly. Now, the police offered no explanation for the why was he not covered in blood. They offered no explanation for the how did he kill her that violently in the space of like eight seconds. They offered no <laughs> explanation for your question of where the milk is. They offered no explanation for the doors. What they did say is that they knew that the defence were going to try and say that the tram station was just over a 10-minute walk away. However, you could make it there. If you left their ho- their house at 6.40, you could <laughs> be there on the tram as the doors opened at 6.45. And, funny that you say if you're Usain Bolt, in order to prove this, they had a 21-year-old policeman... <laughs> beyond absurd it's like a fucking monty python sketch the guy's like 59 <laughs> and they're getting a super fucking fit guy <laughs> so they had him stand on the top doorstep <laughs> of their home and sprint as fast as you could <laughs> leaping over the fence oh my god <laughs> to the tram station and he managed to get there and just shy of five minutes yeah, but you would think there would be people th- that would notice a, a man sprinting, especially an elderly man in that time. Yes. Like, actually so, he's an like, elderly, yeah. unwell man and apparently, <laughs> bludgeoned his, apparently bludgeoned his wife to death. Clearly didn't get cleaned up or anything, so he was still covered in blood. And just like bolted while screaming at his neighbour, <laughs> oh, I'm in a jolly good mood. And, the door <laughs> left and, and nobody that saw him was like, it's a bit weird, but well, it's bolting full belt down the street. Let's say he was just nobody so thought to say that. that and, him. and again, literally smothered in blood. Like I'm assuming he must have written the tram covered in blood, and then in his wee 20 minute window, like washed it all and off. And don't forget, he went to the shop to ask for the directory, so someone witnessed that speaking to him. Well, did he not have been covered in blood then? No, apparently not. But that's fine. That doesn't. Did he no not talk? Did he not see him? Did they not summon that person to testify in court? Um, well, I mean, they did. They had all the statements and stuff, right. but this is the line that the police were going with, and apparently the jury okay. were very much on board with it. Um, why didn't the defence mention that the policeman was pished and literally pished in a bloody toilet? <laughs> um, they didn't mention that. However, they did have two other pieces of key evidence that really <laughs> hammered the nail in uh, William's coffin, even though they don't make any sense. So obviously they had the Johnsons on the stand and Mrs. Johnson had her pish nonsense about like no, she thought he wasn't. 
You know, it's had her names Johnsons because they're dicks. Because they're dicks, yeah. Yeah. Um, so she had her statement about how when they discovered the body, she didn't like the way he was acting and that he didn't try to revive his brainless wife. Um, <laughs> That's why I think she did it. And Mr. Johnson stated, and apparently, which again, I get is 1930 and toxic, well, 1930. I've forgotten what year it is. No, it's 1931. 19... Yeah, so basically 1930. And toxic yeah. masculinity was even more rife than it is now. Mr. Johnson, and apparently, like, again, this was something that really sealed it with the uh, jury, said that he believed that William was mentally unstable because he'd seen William cry in the street once. Oh, God forbid a man should cry. For I mean, sake. if you're the kind of man that cries and pets cats, you're definitely the kind of man. Literally a homosexual. <laughs> well, you're not there. You're definitely the kind of man that astral projects to murder your wife. <laughs> the oh, arresting officer also said that, mm. and I thought I'd read this wrong, that William was very cooperative throughout the arrest. And that they found this quite unusual because most people are not cooperative when being arrested. So they felt that he was a cold, emotionless man, exactly the kind of man that would kill his wife. Well, maybe he's just a, a man that would, like, is, like, bows to authority. You know, he thought, well, obviously, we'll probably want to question me. I don't know. He's probably in shock. Like, that's what what I'm, my thought was just that he was he's probably, probably in shock. He's like, because he'd what, come home it... and his wife's brain was on the floor. Yeah. And maybe he just thinks, well, what's the fucking point? I may as well be dead as well. Maybe that's why he didn't really... Well, it doesn't really say much about how he reacted in court or during the case. I mean, was he, like, adamant he didn't that he react innocent? Or did he just anything, think, apparently it? Just, maybe like, just, it was like a suicide thing? Yeah, he just sat, like, looking like somebody whose wife had died uh, mm-hmm. throughout the entire thing. And then when they sentenced him to death, that was the only point that he spoke in the entire thing to say we're not, we're not that he would never murder Julia. Um, wow. He loved her and that was all that he had to say. Wow. And then was led from the court crying, which at the point Mr. Johnson, I imagine, was like, I told you, <laughs> fucking weirdo. Look at him crying just because his wife's dead and now he's going to be killed. So William got taken off to be executed. He was sentenced to be hung, hung by, by the later. However, his lawyers appealed it, and this, oh. finally, Leslie, is why this is a sort of semi-famous case. So his lawyers appealed it, and for the first time ever in British uh-huh. history, Ooh. the Court of Criminal Appeals sided with the accused, apparently, which is what? what they had never sided with the accused from the formation of the Court of Criminal Appeals until 1931. Wow. Hey, I just learned, see, when we were talking about Half Hang at Maggie? in our Edinburgh podcast. Yes. See, after that happened, because in Scottish law, you can't hang someone twice because they've already, as far as they were concerned, she's already been punished for her crime. So you can't hang her again. So it's like a double jeopardy thing. So because of that, they changed the wording in the sentencing to be hanged by the neck until they are dead. Because before that, they didn't say that. They just said death by hanging. So by putting that little caveat in, it means that you have to make sure that you're not allowed to take them down until you know that they are dead. I like that the court will make sure that people are super dead, but they won't um, stop yeah. you killing people that are innocent. Although, again, yeah. in this case, they did. But I'm like, there's definitely going to have been people prior to 1931 that were clearly innocent. Like, I so, get this guy's very clearly innocent, but 
So I guess it's all sense then. Right, okay, yeah. Tell goes us. to the Court of Criminal Appeals. He's the first person ever that's been accused of a crime and sentenced to it that they're like, no, this man didn't kill his wife. Yeah, it's very fucking um, obvious. They put out a statement saying that he was to be released because there was no evidence whatsoever, whatsoever. given in his court case that that basically was evidence. There was nothing to show that William had committed the crime and there was also no motive for him to commit the crime. It's a bit, it's kind of like, you know how they were saying, oh, he's a weirdo. It's like that other case where that woman got killed in a flat and they blamed it. They all immediately assumed it was our landlord because he looked like something out of fucking Royston Vasey. Like he was creepy looking, but it turns out he just looked weird, but he wasn't actually a weirdo. It was just her flatmate who is look, who was a normal looking guy that did it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, why would you just be like, oh, this person is not a bog standard or like again, I bet people thought the Johnsons were a bog standard ordinary person. And yeah. actually you're right, it clearly is Julia's mm-hmm. ex friend. Um, but I, I if it was for somebody who's like the Johnsons killed her, it turns out, I'd be like, Well, yeah, that makes sense based on their weird statements. But I also think that when Mrs. Johnson was trying to revive the lady, even though her brains were clearly on the floor, that's really unhinged. That'd yeah, that's that, yeah, to be like his behaviour was insane. He wasn't trying to revive this yeah. corpse that's clearly also, dead. She's covering herself in her blood again. Is that to cover any further evidence of blood spires on her? Or just, I don't know, that's weird. Um. Yeah, just strange fucking... Yeah, I feel like shit. not everyone in the story, like, you know, the man in the ticket office and, like, men <laughs> love wasn't suspicious, but most of the other kind of, like, big players in the story, I'm like, you're a lot more suspicious than William. He isn't suspicious at all. Even with them saying he had no motive, like, the thing with Julia's ex-best friend, like, her statement, like, that was to establish his motive. She didn't actually really say there was any reason why he would have killed her. She basically just said oh. that she thought there were weirdos. Like, yeah, that's okay. not a motive to murder your wife. And it's like Luke Mitchell, isn't it, with the Jodie murder? Mm-hmm. They, because of the music he listened to and stuff like that, there was, there was, uh, it, he was purely convicted on her murder under circumstantial evidence. There was no physical evidence, there was no DNA, there was nothing to connect him to the crime. And there was no motive. Absolutely no motive. And You're yet, right, it was just it, like, it, oh. Oh, he's a fucking weirdo. Listen to Marilyn Manson. He must be the killer. I think he's innocent. Anyway, yeah, so, like, obviously it's unsolved. Nobody knew who the real killer was for Julia. What happened you know, to Mr. William Wallace after that, then? Is there any end to his story, or is there any further, do you not hear about him it's again? It's very sad. But oh. he's released from prison, but apparently he, like, suffers from crushing depression for the rest of his life. Well, obviously. Because he's not with Julia. <laughs> Um, don't imagine they give you aftercare not long after he's released from prison he's offered the surgery that he needs to save his life and he's actually got the money to pay for it because the money that Julia had saved up at a plate um, would have covered it but he says no because he doesn't want to be on earth he wants to be with Julia and he, he died in 1933 he died in uh, so April 1933. So I take it he didn't want the surgery then because he just would prefer to die. No, he said he didn't want to live without Julia. 
I mean, that explains his behaviour in the court. It's because even though he was a condemned man, I feel like he would, didn't give a shit whether he was hung or not. Cause yeah, because he, he didn't have, have any family. family. He didn't have any family. He didn't have any... He probably well, he had, he had sister, had but broken heart. Yeah. He had no other family other than his sister, and his sister had no her own also family. So right. I think he was just like... Yeah, I think you're right. I think he was like, well, the only person that I've ever... Whoever truly understood about. me, I'm guessing, because it seems yeah. like they're a perfect couple for each other, because they've got similar personalities. And oh, that's so, so that's so fucking sad. I know. Um, but then what are the theories if you were a psychic detective? <laughs> well, if I was a psychic detective, I would know. I mean, yeah, there's not <laughs> really any theories. Like, obviously, there's no RM Qualtrot. Uh, nobody was ever charged there was a guy that gave a statement to the police saying that the guy that bullied him in school had come into the garage that he worked in on the night of Julia's murder and got him to clean the car down and it was dark so he couldn't really see it properly but when he went to clean the inside of it he noticed that there was uh, things that were spattered with blood including gloves and the glove compartment and the guy slammed it and said like basically don't be looking in there um which is suspicious but also could be anything contact yeah it could be anything um and then there's my personal one that i was just like although it makes no sense it doesn't make no sense though it makes no sense for him i feel like it's the johnsons in my head it's the johnsons for all the reasons we said they were acting really weird they're clearly toxic people they why were they so involved in the situation why was she holding her why were they so determined to get him charged that when he was trying to get in they were suddenly there can we help you can uh-huh. we help again yeah and they just seem like the kind of people that would like want them dead just because they're like we're so normal we don't like people like you living next door to us you don't come but to our parties do- a brutal fashion like that or to, to take the suspicion away from them because they look like a normal like suburban couple that wouldn't do that i mean there's no evidence whatsoever really it's them either but i feel like there's more there's stronger there... circumstantial evidence that it's them than there's william and then oh. I, I actually agree with your point that it didn't occur to uh-huh. me but obviously i feel like the woman that used to be friends with julia again just on the basis of the fact that she gave a statement to the police saying i am julia's ex-best friend like mm-hmm. That's an unhinged thing for anyone over the age of 13 to say. Also, what am I going to say is that was there any evidence of a break-in, like forced entry, and not to the lady, obviously, but the house? No. So by that reason, I'm trying to be like Sherlock Holmes here, I deduce that Julia therefore knew the person who knocked on her door and let them in willingly. So it has to be someone she knew. Yeah, you're right. He would force themselves into the house, especially given her personality type. Like she's not going yeah, to like just, just anyone let anyone in. in. She would not just let anyone in. So it has to be someone that she trusts. Which again, I think actually you're like the uh-huh. ex friend makes sense because yeah. she wouldn't let the guy that the bully, right, <laughs> bully man. <laughs> I'm like, well, that doesn't make any sense because she wouldn't just let a random guy into her house. No way, no. And even my theory of the Johnsons doesn't make that much sense in that. It, make, it, it makes, again, more sense than William. But I don't think she would let the Johnsons enter her house. No. Because they like terrible people. Yeah. 
So again, he, William was a bit more. I feel like if William came, if like Mr. Johnson came to the door, I feel he could like unnerve William into letting the members. I feel like Julia seemed like the personality type that like if they came to the door and were like, "Well, we just pop in," she'd be like, "No, why would you pop into my high school?" <laughs> Not today, thank you. Whereas I feel like if her ex pal showed up, we're mm, going to call her Falula, and was like. Oh, Julia, she'd be like, oh, for fuck's sake, like, just come in for Lola. And then, yeah. again, for Lola's weird, like, energy. Like world. Her, her ex best friend, like, yeah, what's she friend. so angry about? Mm, I would have asked. And her again, her. like, somebody, what, 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 who was wanting her to be in her own, like, what? Because again, they're clearly looking for something, they want something that Julia has. So I wonder if there's a history, because, you know, Julia's 69. One, and how far back their friendship goes so maybe there's a secret or there's some sort of joke maybe there's I don't know it's such a fucking mystery like maybe her ex-best friends ha- envied or knew she was hiding something in her bedroom that she wanted or there was something she wanted again to- and I know I'm basing this all on the wording but I feel like that's such an unhinged statement to describe uh-huh. yourself as that that makes me feel like she's the kind of person and that like just showed up at the door and was like I need to come in and then was like I want my blue necklace back. And Julia yeah. was like, oh, did, did you give me a blue necklace? And she just, like, fucked it up. Like, exactly, in a fucking rage. <laughs> it's like when I'm, like, like, if I, like, back in the day, I'd let people, I'd let them borrow my book and then they never give me them back. And then I leave it for, like, 20 years and then suddenly remember, actually, they never gave me that book back. I'm going to fucking go over there and fuck them up. <laughs> Get it back. <laughs> Because I've been, I've been sitting on that for twenty years, letting it brew and stew in my head, that the hatred just boils over. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> how fucking dare they not give. And then you go to the police and be like, "I was her ex best friend, and so I know that the murderer was in fact her husband." <laughs> <laughs> Unless she fancied her husband, maybe she was jealous. She had a younger man, and maybe you, know, you can get crazy people like that that just are obsessed with someone else's life and they won't let things go even though they're like not friends anymore but they'll still want to know everything it's like if you break up with someone these days and then you continue to stalk them on social media and stuff i don't know yeah she could have been watching the house all the time and being like Mm -hmm. why is there always like a and maybe she's doing William's routine she knows where he works she knew their number. She probably looked up in the directory or something. Cause you probably find that out easy enough. And then made up some bullshit street. So, so she knew his routine and um and timed it so that he would be away. That's what I'm saying. It's obviously someone who made sure that he would be away long enough for them to then go and kill his wife. It's it seems quite obvious to me, but obviously I don't know. We'll never know now. No. I mean, it's too, like, the police didn't investigate it properly, so they didn't even... I'm sure in the police, I mean, they never... I'm sure there's really good police people out there, like detectives, but lately the police are not getting quite a good rep, like... Um... All three police in that story are awful, though, because there's the I one that pissed on the evidence. The one that was interviewing them was the one that said the thing about the cat, which is like, that's yeah. somebody being nice to a cat isn't... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was nice to small animals therefore he is a killer is a very confusing line of thought and then the first police officer is the one that came back being like oh we need to lift him because i checked and the phone that was used again Mm -hmm. was an 18 minute walk from somewhere that we know he frequents 
Therefore, clearly it was him. Like that, what? That doesn't make any sense. Do you do realise that we've spent an hour very much talking about this one case? Should we uh, maybe make this a episode in its own and then when I'm back you can do yours yeah. and that means well, that makes sense because I'm not going to do any research on them on holiday. Well we do psychic detectives and then yeah, you can do your on, like a lighter note and talk about, yes. about my psychic detective. Yeah and then you can do your like a mysterious yeah. death okay. next time. That's fine. Well there's um uh, this is the Daily Express which is obviously bullshit because it's one of those Tory papers but it says meet the psychic detectives who solve police cases so they're claiming that they actually solve police cases now I don't know if the police I don't if I was a detective you would think, kind of think that you'd be kind of given up if you're resorting to a fucking psychic to do your work for you but I don't know. I'm, that's I mean, maybe the police are too drunk to know what's going yeah. on. <laughs> her name is, there's a woman called Diane Lazarus. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's probably not a real name. <laughs> I was about to say that. Yeah, <laughs> maybe the Diane part, but not the Lazarus part. Because, you know, Lazarus was the guy that was brought back from the dead by Jesus. From Sutton, Coldfield, Birmingham, she's been a professional psychic, which just makes me laugh. For 20 years, she's travelled all over the world helping the police and in investigating crimes, but has she actually solved any crimes like they claim in the, the clickbait headline? I um, don't know. She said she first saw spirits at a young age, so she says it's nothing out of the ordering. When she's working on a case, she doesn't refer to the dead as spirits. She just calls them energy. She says the police gave me a photo. They <laughs> gave basically me- the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. She's like, wouldn't ever be as rude enough energy. to describe them as spirits. I call them energies. <laughs> like oi I'm a ghost just tell me what (laughs) the police give her a photo of the victim or they arrange a face-to-face meeting with a member of the victim's family now I I, I don't agree with that or occasionally the family member contacts me directly I think that's giving them false hope I wouldn't I'd be uncomfortable with that I always record these readings she says and take notes so the police can refer to them which makes it easier if the case goes to court I don't think psychic um powers are admissible in court as evidence just saying i mean you would think not but based on the case that we've just looked at apparently well, like a random pissed off mad women's rambling <laughs> to evidence in court. so why not psychic yeah fair to is but back in the 30s and 40s they were jailing psychics for witchcraft but uh, my she said her first case was 15 years ago i don't know when this article was written but i'm assuming it was recent when she was living in swansea out of the blue two police officers called at her home what just randomly <laughs> <laughs> that was how I she first realized she was psychic and she was like hey now that you say it i can hear yeah. a heavenly voice she said she used her psychic using her psychic skills. She could see that the man had committed. Oh no, wait, sorry, I'll be backtrack a bit. I missed that. But so the police knocked at her door and said, "Oh, eh, there's a man missing, and could you um, help us pick up any psychic details about what happened to him? Because you know we can't be arsed doing our job and actually finding evidence." So she said, I-, "I could see that the man had committed suicide and was slumped in his car." The police later found the man in his vehicle in the location that she described. 
Mm, I think that's just a lucky guess. Someone goes missing, they're probably going to be a suicide person. Like, I don't know. That's my guess. Since then, yeah, I mean, to be with... fair, yeah, the majority, I would say it's, <laughs> it's, it's more likely when somebody goes missing and doesn't return yeah. that they have committed um, suicide than mm. that they've been murdered and their bodies been hidden somewhere. Like, I'd say exactly. the first one happens a lot more often than the second. It's yeah. not even really a good guess. It's just no. kind of obvious. <laughs> She said then, since then, she's worked with police forces around the world, Mark. And whenever she works on a case, she makes sure that her methods fit in with the police forces' procedures and she never asks for payment. She said that a high... attention. I don't know. Uh, yeah, probably. A high-profile case that she was involved with was in the UK um, was the murder of Mark Green. I don't know who that is. She did a reading for his aunt who thought he was missing, but he came through and told me he was dead. Well, what else would he be? <laughs> so he came through and he said, actually, I'm in the hall. I'm not really dead. I've, not, I've been hiding in the cupboard all this time. She's got big Mrs. Johnson vibes. Like, we don't know yeah. this woman's dead. Yes, her brain's in that corner, her body's in this <laughs> corner. But let me just use my powers to find out if she's dead or not. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I could probably go to someone's house whose person was missing and go, yeah, I'm pretty sure he's dead because <laughs> I'm psychic and that's why he's coming through now. It's fucked up. Mark then, the dead guy, provided information about how he had been killed. His aunt passed the tape of her reading to the police and who then threw it in the garden. No, they did. First the detective got it and flushed it down the toilet. <laughs> As his procedure. <laughs> and then violently beat the aunt and put her in a prison cell because they suspected her of petting a cat. <laughs> um, the detective constable who was leading the investigation thought it was a missing persons case. However, she spent five hours walking around Birmingham with another officer and with Mark's spirit guiding me. Five hours of walking around Birmingham. If I was that cop, I'd be like, for fuck's sake, <laughs> this is for five hours. <laughs> I bet she just wanted the day off. I bet it's like, you know, when you've had four really long days at work, if somebody (laughs) showed up at your work and were like, oh, Mark, see, instead of like teaching your classes today, would you mind uh, walking around the town in a circle with this man who thinks he has psychic powers? I'd be like, I cool. (laughs) That that sounds grand. I'm a bit knackered. I'll do that. We wander. We get ice cream. I mean, five hours is a long time to say, I think he's, I think, like, that's like hide and seek, isn't it? It's just like, five hours is just like try to find someone that's not actually i don't think he's guiding him it's not a very good guide if he's like going around for five hours and where, where exactly is he going so no, right, fair, if we're... i could come back as a spirit and somebody <laughs> murdered me and i could communicate with you if i would I'm just not... be like here it was bob my bed my body yeah. is buried exactly yeah. here. i wouldn't be like follow exactly. me say, follow me <laughs> on the trail of cake <laughs> <laughs> That's how you know it's me. <laughs> no, she, the, so she, yeah, because you would be really specific, wouldn't you? You'd be like, yeah, it it was this guy. Um, He did it with the candlestick and he threw me in the garbage shoot or something. Yeah. There you go, you'll find me here. But it never, it's never that, that way, is it? So she led the officer to Highgate Estate in Birmingham 
after fucking five hours of walking about, where Mark's body was later found and provided more details about his murder and the materials involved. Thanks to my input in the case, the case was upgraded to murder. Mm, I think maybe by the time you'd actually stopped, like wandered around for five hours, they probably found his body and then you claimed <laughs> it was because of you. Yeah, also, again, it's very clearly it was murder. Later I don't found... like it's murder because she said it was murder. Mm. Maybe she just happened to wander past the Highgate estate and then it doesn't say how much later his body was found. But again, retro, retroactively, you could just say, uh, yeah, that, that, was, that was him telling me that. That's why he was found. Okay. <laughs> she also predicted that a TV show would smoke out the killer. Mark's parents... oh, I really want to guess what TV show it is that helped them find the killer. Daddy. Uh, oh. I mean, is it going to be the obvious one or is it going to be something wild? Mm, no, what's the obvious one? The news. Crime Watch. <laughs> Crime Watch. Um, yeah, Mark's parents later appealed on TV and afterwards, I'm assuming Crime Watch, and afterwards a man called James McMahon came forward and confessed to helping the killer. His brother Robert McMahon buried the body in his garden. Yeah, it's probably Crime Watch. So again, not really psychic if you meet with people to do with the case and know that they're going on Crime Watch to be like, I psychically sense that after it's on Crime Watch, <laughs> the way in which we appeal to the public for information on a crime, that it will be solved. <laughs> like, yeah, that's that's what Crime Watch is for. <laughs> yeah, so she said, I would love the police in the UK to be more open about using trusted psychics and I agree with the new guidelines. I don't know what guidelines you're talking about. Yes, they're questionable psychics, but the good ones can provide valuable clues. That None of that, what I read, proves to me that anything she did was valuable clues. Okay, there's another one here, because this is a, a series of them. Um, oh, but there's, there must be some men that are into this psychic thing, uh, detective thing. So this one's called Tracy One. I'm treating them like they're creatures or something. This one. Tracy Hicks, 45, from Hartford, Hertfordshire. She's been a professional medium for 14 years. How does one become a professional medium? If you're saying that you don't charge anyone for your services. Yeah, then you're not a professional. You, unless she's just charging the general public for general readings, not to do detective work. Fuck knows. She first worked with the police nine years ago in 2006. Right, so 2006. What's I'm shitting maths. Six plus nine is what? A fifteen. So this article must have come out in 2015. So yeah, she appeared on the TV show Psychic Private Eyes. (laughs) (laughs) What what a (laughs) marvelous. Which investigated unsolved crimes and was aired on CBS Reality. I had been a professional medium for three years, but the show brought my gifts to the attention of grieving families and the UK police. Soon people who had lost family members in a violent way started asking me for readings. They wanted to know what had happened to their loved ones. When I do one of these readings, the victim's spirit gives me details about their death, the murder weapon, where the body is, and so on. I relay this information. Well, that at least is an improvement on the last one. Is it? Because she's telling this to the loved one, not the police. Oh, no, I mean, she's evil. 
But if it's real, then it's an improvement in the last one because the last one, for some reason, the the spirit isn't telling them all these details. She's literally being told. Now, to be fair, I assume it means every single case she's ever worked on, somebody's now in jail because the spirit is telling her who murdered them, how they murdered them, when and where. So. Yeah, I'm starting to think, who the fuck needs the police when you can just get this woman to solve all the crimes? Why, why can't she solve the crime of Julia Wallace? I suppose that you can't really corroborate anything she says because all the witnesses and that were are dead now, so they can't say, yeah, that's right. But, but if we can prove that every single case she's been involved in, she's been correct, she can just contact Julia and be like, who killed you? Yeah, but again... No one and Julia will be like, it was that mental bitch. Lola. There's a reason <laughs> about with her. Yeah, but that would, that would still be like her word against ARs, wouldn't it? Like, or you, you wouldn't know. She could make up any old shit. I mean, she could say True. that because that's what we want to hear. But I'm saying, like, if she's that good, why isn't she the chief of police? <laughs> Uh, right, so wait, 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 she always tapes the readings and the relative usually pass. All oh, right, so the relative passes the details to the police. That's just ridiculous. All right, so it's up so that they can be ridiculed instead of her. Often these readings include details that haven't been released to the public. Well, suspicious. It's at this point that I receive a phone call from an officer who's investigating the case and I provide more information if I can. It's all very vague. Sometimes the police contact me directly. I tune into my spirit guides and I'm shown clairvoyantly what happened. It's like watching a film. It's upsetting, but I've learned to deal with it. Often the police give me a photo to work with or a name, which helps me link in with the victim and the murderer. I think she's murdered all the people in this case. <laughs> she's my first police case was nine years ago. A woman whose daughter had been murdered came for a reading. I hate that to a reading. And I gave her specific evidence about the killer. I told her the killer was her daughter's... Bo- the obvious... <laughs> was her daughter's boyfriend. And that I told he had- her the killer was what 33% of all killers yeah. <laughs> in the case of women being murdered are. And strangely, exactly. that was correct. Well, what I guess. <laughs> and he had stolen things from her flat, which were hidden at his workplace and not his home. That doesn't necessarily mean that he killed her just because he's got some of her things. Like, yeah. I used to put David's and leave my things at his. It doesn't mean he's going to, like, he's killed me if I go missing. <laughs> I mean, I wear the pentagram that you gave me when we were yeah. younger. Doesn't mean I'm planning to murder you. It's just because I have something that you bought yeah. on, the, on my possession. Like, Yeah, because get this, the mother passed this information to the police who found the items at the killer's workplace. Again, that doesn't really prove anything, though. That's just that, you know, she could have just left. How did he know that she never reported it to the police? I'm assuming that her stuff was stolen. I just assumed that she left her stuff at her boyfriend's flat. Poor guy. Uh, <laughs> another case, and, th- and then she left. She leaves it at that. She doesn't say whether they convicted the boyfriend or not. She just insists <laughs> the killer. So I find that highly strongly implies they didn't. Yeah, another case involved a woman called Bonnie. Bonnie Barrett. A relative came to me for a reading, and Bonnie's spirit came through immediately. Why are they going to her? I don't know. If Bonnie told me she was a prostitute. <laughs> I was insistent her murderer was a client and that he had killed another woman. What if Bonnie, like the real Bonnie that never 
was never a prostitute, but she's just now said to her family that she's That's exactly her. why I was laughing there. That's what I was imagining. <laughs> she's like, Bonnie's telling me she's a prostitute. And her mum's like, no, she was a nurse. And she's like, no, she's quite clear she was a prostitute. She was blowing lots of men. And yeah. <laughs> for 50 her exact words are, I was a mad, dirty slag, but I did it for the car. <laughs> That doesn't really sound like something Bonnie would say, to be honest. Well, she said it. Anyway, moving on. (laughs) I also picked up that the killer was from Preston, Lancashire. Um, Yeah, there's lots of people from Preston, Lancashire that could be fucking anybody. The information was passed to the police. Several months later, Derek Brown from Preston was convicted of Bonnie's murder and sentenced to life. Yeah, but she doesn't go into, like, how much of that was a result of the actual police investigation not her just saying or she could have like made that up after the fact yeah that's what I was like she could just when it happened yeah (laughs) and her mum might not even remember but at the time I did say that the killer was (laughs) I'm also imagining that when he was arrested they were like how did you know Bonnie and he was like oh I was one of her patients and she was like which is strange because she was a prostitute (laughs) (laughs) I have decided yeah, like you said about that kid in your school who just <laughs> like an echo repeats the answer <laughs> what's already said. <laughs> she said, "Then I hear of a con- when I hear of a conviction, I feel glad that I've been able to help the family's closure. I'm pleased these new police guidelines have been issued, and I will always try to help solve crimes. It's one of the reasons I have this gift. Mm-hmm. Sure." I don't know if there's any more to this. It seems to have just the um, the ends there. I think, unless I don't know, there must be other stories about um, psychic detectives. Famous. I am um, no, I haven't looked anything up about this, man. But I'm going uh-huh. to send you a headline and then a picture just because this made me laugh when you uh-huh. messaged me to say that you were going to look at psychic detectives. <laughs> Where's the headline? Right, so this is the headline. And then it says, in the like byline, which I realise I haven't taken a screenshot of, he does this with his spirit guide. Are you ready to see him in his spirit guide? Yes, please. (laughs) 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 He's caught an eagle on his arm. (laughs) 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 What does an eagle do? Go out in space. Turn over, this is spirit guide. It's some sort of conduit for the spirits. He goes, go fly eagerly, go and find the bodies. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that just like using a like a, a what are they called a cadaver dog to go and find bodies? Like, is he claiming that eagle? I'm saying you're right. The byline actually says Mike Baker picture, pictured along with his spirit guide helps police to solve serious crimes. So, so no, it turns out you're wrong. It says it's <laughs> Yeah, but does he, does he claim, that, does he actually help them or does he just hang about crime scenes and pretend that he's solving crimes like Maxi Power in the League of Gentlemen? <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm just going like, to... It goes back to what we said earlier about uh, you going and getting a um, still out and watch sitting watching crimes happen I, I like that idea like he just hears the siren and he gets his eagle on his shoulder and stokes out and they're like oh no here he is again like 
you need to go home, Mike. And he's like, no, we're here to solve to murder. <laughs> to murder. Come on, Kez. <laughs> like, Kez will find to body. Like, no, wait, you're already moving the body as it's there under the body blanket. Fly, Kez, fly. <laughs> I feel like maybe we should end the podcast um, at that, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's a, an article I found about uh, apparently these are psychic detective who actually finds like bodies. Like here's our short one, and we'll end the podcast on this. Annette Martin finds Dennis Prado. I like the name Dennis Prado, <laughs> whoever yeah, he is. People do not choose to be a psychic. It just happens. And Annette Martin is a prime example of that. She wanted to be an opera singer, but instead has been using her unique ability to help find missing people for over 20 years. What does she do? Shout their name in an opera. Sounds <laughs> like she uses her unique ability of having a voice that carries to yeah. help solve crimes. One of her most famous finds, however, was helping police locate the body of Dennis Prado, an elderly gentleman who had disappeared from his home. Search and rescue teams had been scouring the area of a 2,000-acre state park near Pacifica, California, and for almost two months to find the man, but had come up empty-handed. As a last resort, local police gave Martin a photograph of Prado and a map asking her to see if she could pinpoint an area for them to search. Martin focused on the map and was able to give the police an area about an eighth of a mile to comb through. They were sceptical at first, but searcher Roberta Hauser took a search dog with her. I think the dog found it, not her, and no. was able to discover the corpse of Mr. Prado right in the centre of the circle Martin had pointed out. The police were stunned. Since that case, Martin has worked closely with various other police departments to help solve abduction and murder cases and has been featured on various TV and radio programmes to talk about her gift. Hmm, suspicious. Why can't she find Madeleine McCann then? Yeah, because she's lazy. <laughs> <laughs> lazy bitch. <laughs> That's how I'm like, if all these psychics claim that they can find people and pinpoint where their body is, why have they not done that with Maddie McCann? Seriously? Actually... Or just, oh, just literally every unsolved, like not even that one, just all unsolved cases. Like if you're that good, just yeah. go down to the police station and be like, right, I'm going to summon up each of the dead yeah, people that are in unsolved cases and just be like, hi, who killed you? Go. I'm just going to quickly look up psychic detective Madeline McCann because I'm really interested to see if there were any ones that claimed they knew where she was. But that's really... That I'd say that's risky for a psychic detective because if they're wrong, then it's a quite high profile case, isn't it? So that's going to debunk them straight away if they fail, but they always come up with some excuse. Again, um, it's the afterthought thing. I bet when we do find out what happens, there'll be psychic detectives coming out the woodwork being like, <laughs> I said that three years ago, but I said that 11 years ago. <laughs> exactly. I told you, but nobody listens. Um, Oh, right. Okay. Oh, it's a Daily Star. I don't know if I sh should trust that. Uh, here's one. Michael Schneider, Madeline McCann's investigators, consulted psychic detective about her location. Cops investigating the disappearance of Maddie McCann in Germany reportedly spoke to a psychic detective and um, 
quote marks, who told him where he thinks the missing three-year-old girl is located. The information claimed to be passed on to the authorities in Portugal. German clairvoyant Michael Schneider has apparently solved at least 25 missing persons cases. Well, he hasn't fucking solved this one, has he? Since he began offering his assistance. He told yeah, the Daily Star, which is basically a newspaper in the UK that likes to plaster like, tits all over it, what well, used to, like actual women, not birds. And they had headlines like, I stuck t- like 20 cream eggs up my Jap's eye or something, or my arsehole. <laughs> That's the kind of headlines they have. Yeah. <laughs> Schneider told, or was one of it a wee dwarf that got his penis stuck in a Henry the Hoover? Schneider told the Daily Star that he it was he who contacted German prosecutors regarding information related to the missing three-year-old. Okay, get to the point. He says, in other cases, German and foreign authorities have often approached me, explaining how he works. He said, I look at a photo, it's always a photograph of the missing person or animal, and ask myself to God whether the creature is dead or alive, and get an answer through my magic eight ball. No, I was just I just threw that in there. It's not you know, a magic eight ball. Through my inner voice, which is almost almost he's put emphasize always correct. So you're saying you're not always correct then. He then comes up tricks on me. <laughs> yeah. He then comes up with a location by running his fingers and eyes over an atlas. Um. I mean, that's like if I took a pin or a dart and just threw it randomly at a bit in the map and said that's where she is. That's about as scientific as it gets. Google Maps and Google Earth until they stop on a spot. This technique has reportedly helped the clairvoyant aid police in locating a number of missing people. Hey, what's this got to do with Madeleine McCann, though? Yeah, he said that and the people investigating... Madeline McCann's disappearance. Um, Hans Christian Walter was a prosecutor investigating her disappearance. He had conversations with Schneider. It was confirmed by Walters himself over an email. Schneider revealed that a number of telephone calls have taken place over the past few. You're like, well, what is your evidence? Like, this is just waffle. He said he he told them where he thought Madeline was, and this detail was forwarded to the relative parties in Portugal. Right, but where are you not? Why are you not telling us? In case other psychics decide that that's where they think she is, <laughs> don't want them to copy your homework. Yeah. Uh, okay. So where is she then? What he said? I do not give out such information lightly and without constantly questioning myself because I'm well aware of the responsibility of what I do. Right. It doesn't tell us where he thinks she is, so that's why I'm like, this is horseshit. He's not helped whatsoever. She's still missing. Yeah. He's not mm. actually. Yeah. Where is it? The Daily Star. Found the, found the actual article here. Psychic detective gives 100% verdict on women who think she's Madeline McCann. Right. That's the same cunt, Michael Schneider. He's like a long haired guy with jeans. Looks about 42. <laughs> I don't know, I'll send you a picture of her. Um, and he, he weighed in on whether the woman claiming to be Madeline McCann really is her, which we all know was proven that it wasn't her. So he says he is 100% certain on whether or not, whether or not the woman claiming to be Madeline McCann really is her. So that's like me saying maybe's I, maybe's no. That doesn't right, really give you anything. I expected you to keep going there and be like, and oh. she... 
is or isn't, not like I know yeah. whether she is or isn't anyway, bye. Right, okay. So, Although I do quite like that tactic if you're going to pretend to be a psychic, that's quite good. Like, <laughs> what happened to him? He's either hiding somewhere or yeah. murdered, and I know the answer. But hey! I'm not going to tell you because it's a secret. That's what he's doing here. He's saying he reckons he knows exactly, he reckons he knows exactly where Madeline is, and thus whether or not Julia is her. But I'm not going to tell you. That's basically it. Even though he solved 25 missing person cases on a voluntary basis. Um again, yeah, this is the same bullshit as before. Um and he says <clears throat> he's pinpointed, right, he's convinced that Julia is not Madeline. Well, he's correct in that way because it was proven she wasn't. Mm-hmm. He says he's pinpointed Madeline McCann to a location in the Algarve, Portugal. Well, duh, that's where she was taken. So that could be, like, I mean, anyone could come up with that. You need to give us a specific place on a map close to where she went missing. Anyone could guess that. He said, my very clear and 100% certain inspiration, or inspiration, so you <laughs> see the way he words it, on this case is, of course, she's not Madeline. She just wants publicity. Well, anyone could think of that themselves. Also, Maddie, those in glass houses and all that. Like. Yeah. <laughs> Maddie is located in the Algarve in Odiac there. Okay, well, why have you not found her then? Sadly, Schneider claims his intuition since 2013, when he first became aware of the case, has that she was killed. So does 100% of the people who, <laughs> who know about the case. It's not the first time he's been named as a possible uh, Oxde, no, Oda Axe, I don't, I can't pronounce it, Some, that place in Portugal in the Algarve where she went missing was possible location where the missing youngster may be. Two months after she vanished, the police probed an anonymous letter published in a Dutch newspaper which claimed Madeline was buried under rocks in the village. Uh, he previously provided coordinates for a woman. Stop giving us his previous successes. You still haven't found Madeline. That doesn't prove anything. Yeah. Okay. See, this is why I don't believe in psychic um, detectives. I'm just saying. I really don't. Do you know someone who is a psychic detective or are you a psychic psychic detective and you listen to this podcast? Please do get in touch. <laughs> and give us some like actual information that will make us all that yeah and we'll take all the credit we could be like the new weirdos on this morning except i'm the one with the long blonde hair well i don't really have blonde hair anymore and you could be like the lady that treats injured fish i would like that you can talk about the ghost you've been speaking to and i'll just sit with a little fish in a tank and like (laughs) and you go there 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 Every time you go to make a break, you'll be like, and the body's hidden then, and I'll be like, and this little guy here, <laughs> <I'm getting laughs> yeah, medicine and he's feeling very happy. And then we can just both stand up and walk off the set. <laughs> and on that note, I will say goodbye, and we will follow, we will um, carry this on the next time after Mark comes back from his holidays, when he's Indeed. searching for Madeline McCann. <laughs> yeah and then we'll i'll cover some more unsolved murders um and there'll be a few of them not just one big long story but have a think about julia wallace and who might have killed her who do you think killed her what's your theory get in touch with us on twitter 
or maybe not anymore because everyone's leaving Twitter and going on the Zuckerberg site Fred or you can get in touch with us on Facebook uh, again Zuckerberg <laughs> Crystal Myth Podcast send a message psychically to us there you go yes. your psychic. and on that note goodbye bye <laughs>